Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. For our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about a carbon credits bill. And now for your environmental headlines. According to the Indy Star, Attorney General Todd Rokita is joining attorneys general from 11 other states to sue the Biden administration over new environmental regulations that they claim will impoverish millions. The lawsuit was filed March 7 in federal court in Missouri as a response to President Joe Biden's sweeping environmental protection order called Protecting Public Health and the Environment and Restoring Science to Tackle the Climate Crisis. Biden signed the order into action on January 20th. It set in motion the reversal of a bevy of Trump administration-era policies that promoted economic growth over environmental regulations. The order requires that agencies calculate the social costs that greenhouse gas emissions have on communities when considering government regulations and policies. Rokita and the attorneys general say that could amount to $9.5 trillion in government spending, according to social cost estimates that were published by the Biden administration in February. Quote, Since January, we have witnessed an unprecedented level of federal overreach, end quote. Rokita said March 7 in a prepared statement, quote, and now we have yet another egregious example as President Biden attempts to regulate virtually every aspect of the American economy, end quote. What the AG did not point out was that the cost of $9.5 trillion is not what will be spent if the Biden plan is followed. Biden plans to invest in renewables, especially wind and solar, It was determined years ago that Indiana could convert completely to wind and solar, with one consequence being at least 100,000 good jobs being created. One consequence of this conversion would be clearer air. Spring brings the buzzing of bees. The Indiana Wildlife Federation reminds us of the plight of the rusty-patched bumblebee. It was once widespread throughout the state of Indiana. It pollinated flowers and occupied habitats across the state and filled an essential biological niche. But within the last 20 years, rusty-patched bumblebee populations have declined 87%, reaching the point that the International Union for Conservation of Nature has listed the species as critically endangered on their list of threatened species. This threatened bee species is essential to pollinator plant ecosystems all across Indiana's grasslands and needs human intervention if its population is to rebound. The natural habitat of the rusty-patched bumblebee is grasslands and tall grass, but due to habitat loss, most of these habitats have vanished in the bee's natural range. 
This habitat loss, along with intensive farming, disease, pesticide use, and climate change, contributes to the bee's decline. Bumblebees are incredibly important pollinators of agricultural products. This includes crops such as blueberries and cranberries, and bumblebees are almost the only insect pollinators of tomatoes. Above all, the most beneficial action for the rusty-patched bumblebee that you can take is to grow native pollinator plants such as milkweed in your garden. Clean drinking water availability is gaining more attention in both Indiana and Illinois, especially in the greater Chicago area. For example, Joliet, Illinois is running out of fresh groundwater. Joliet is the latest city to give up on the Deke aquifers, voting last month, in a decision officials called the most significant in the town's history, to tap into Lake Michigan water provided by Chicago. That comes with a cost. If Joliet takes on the project alone, an average monthly water bill for residents could quadruple in the next 20 years, from about $34 to nearly $140. But officials say a new water source is necessary. By 2030, when the pipeline to Joliet is expected to be completed, a few wells that supply Joliet water could be struggling to meet demands. Indiana is becoming more concerned with the quality of its groundwater, especially in the northwestern part of the state. For example, a sewer network is being installed for a new subdivision in Granger. It will use sewers and treated water instead of septic systems and wells. It is the latest project to have St. Joseph County officials thinking about future solutions for dealing with waste and drinking water. The subdivision, called the Hills at St. Joe Farm, is expected to put 230 homes on a swath of farmland just north of the Indiana Toll Road. Though many suburban homeowners say there's nothing wrong with their water, officials have long contended that wells in parts of the county, including Granger, have elevated levels of chemicals that can be traced to septic systems. Indiana wildlife and environmental agencies are investigating the numerous ducks, geese, and waterfowl recently found dead around a northwestern Indiana lake. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources began receiving reports in mid-February of dead or dying waterfowl around the northern portion of Wolf Lake in Hammond, said James Brindle, the DNR's Director of Communications. The agency received calls last week about dead Canada geese, mallards, coots, and other waterfowl at the lake, said Lieutenant Sean D. Brown of DNR Law Enforcement. The birds' deaths are being investigated by DNR's Division of Fish and Wildlife and the Indiana Department of Environmental Management with help from a federal laboratory, the Northwest Indiana Times reported. Officials were unable to say how many dead waterfowl have been found at the lake, but Hammond resident Leo Morris said he found more than 20 geese there Monday. Quote, it's really sad, end quote, he said. He also saw a couple that appeared to be dying. The lab at the USGS National Wildlife Center is performing tests to determine if the dead birds suffered any diseases or if chemicals are present in their remains. Brindle said it's unknown when those results will be received. Although the lake's northern area does have industrial sites, officials said natural causes are also a possibility. The DNR announced 
Tuesday that avian cholera has been confirmed among geese in southwestern Indiana's Gibson County, where 176 snow geese have been found dead since early January. Congress is considering passage of the Protect America's Children from Toxic Pesticides Act. It would enable a comprehensive overhaul of federal pesticide regulations. It would place restrictions on pesticide use and registration, including bans on several of the most toxic pesticides, such as organophosphates, neonicotinoids, and paraquat. This legislation offers a powerful and transformative opportunity to protect children and farm workers who are especially vulnerable to the dangerous effects of pesticides and would also protect all other people, pollinators, and other wildlife. Senator Tom Udall, Democrat of New Mexico, and Representative Joe Neguse, Democrat of Colorado, introduced the bill for the first time in 2020. It had 23 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives and five in the Senate. In addition to banning or restricting the use of pesticides, the bill would create new safety protections for farm workers and empower citizens and communities to participate in the pesticide restriction process. It would also close two loopholes, conditional registration and emergency exemption, which currently allow the widespread use of pesticides that haven't passed health and safety tests. In a significant win for indigenous and environmental activists, the U.S. Forest Service has rescinded its decision to permit a copper mine from being built in Oak Flat within Arizona's Tonto National Forest, an area sacred to the local Apache people. Oak Flat is a 6.7 square mile forested area just east of Phoenix. It's located at the center of four sacred mountains and has been the site of spiritual and cultural ceremonies for centuries. The area's oak groves provide the Apache with acorns and other food sources and contain burial sites, ancient rock carvings, and a popular camping ground. The Forest Service rescinded its decision only six weeks after releasing an environmental impact statement approving the mine under the Trump administration. As Gizmodo put it, quote, The move reflects the sea change between the Biden and Trump administration's approach to land, extraction, and indigenous rights, end quote. The company Resolution Copper had wanted to turn Oak Flat into one of the country's largest copper mines using a process called block carving to extract the copper. The process would have left huge craters on the Earth's surface and destroyed its vegetation. Rescinding the decision is an important step in preserving Oak Flat, but it's not a permanent one. It temporarily halts the transfer of land, but doesn't stop it altogether. To keep the land under Apache control, the Biden administration must issue permanent protections. While some mainstream environmental organizations welcomed Tuesday's introduction of the Clean Future Act and the House of Representatives, progressive green groups warned that the bill falls far short of what's needed to meaningfully tackle the climate crisis, an existential threat they say calls for bolder action like the Green New Deal. The latest version of the Clean Future Act which aims to achieve U.S. carbon neutrality by the year 2050, was introduced by three Democratic representatives. The bill sets an interim target of reducing pollution by 50% from 2005 levels no later than 2030. 
In a statement, Representative Pallone, who was chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, said that, quote, The climate crisis is one of the greatest challenges of our lifetime, but it also presents one of the greatest opportunities to empower American workers with new, good-paying jobs and return our economy to a position of strength after a long, dark year of historic job losses and pain, end quote. The U.S. Senate is considering bringing back the Cecil Act, which would have banned the importation of body parts of endangered species. The Cecil Act is named after Cecil the Lion, a famous victim of trophy hunting. In 2019, the previous Congress considered the Cecil Act but failed to pass it. Elephants once numbered over 10 million, but after decades of poaching, their population has plummeted to fewer than half a million. Trophy hunting is an important reason for the population decline. From 2007 to 14, the elephant population dropped by 30%. In 2014, the Obama administration banned the importation of elephant body parts as trophies, but the Trump administration overturned the ban in 2018. Like humans, elephants live in complex family units. They stick together for protection and pass on knowledge of where to find food and water. Elephant hunting not only kills individuals, but also destroys the family bonds the animals rely on to survive. Studies have shown that the trauma of losing a parent continues to affect a young elephant throughout its life. The Ceresto Flea Collar for Pets, the top-selling collar of its kind on Amazon, has been linked to almost 1,700 pet deaths, but EPA has issued no warning about it. The flea collar, made by Bayer and sold by Elanco, releases small amounts of two insecticides, imidacloprid and flumethrin, onto the animal for eight months. The manufacturer says it's supposed to kill fleas, ticks, and other pests, but be safe for cats and dogs. Besides the nearly 1,700 reports of pet deaths from Ceresto collars that the EP has received since the collars were introduced to the market in 2012, the agency has received a total of more than 75,000 total adverse incident reports on the collars, including 1,000 involving harm to humans. According to Karen McCormick, a retired EPA employee, Ceresto collars have had the most reported adverse incidents of any pesticide pet product she's seen. She said, quote, The EPA appears to be turning a blind eye to this problem, and after seven years of an increasing number of incidents, they are telling the public that they are continuing to monitor the situation. But I think this is a significant problem that needs to be addressed sooner rather than later, end quote. The Detroit Free Press reported that General Motors wants to sell 1 million electric vehicles, or EVs, by 2025. But to get there, its leaders say it will have to ease two top concerns for drivers, EV cost and battery range anxiety. The automaker embraced these worries with the 2022 Chevy Volt EV and its larger sibling, the 2022 Bolt EUV. Both will be cheaper than the current Bolt model. Both will cost slightly more than $30,000. Both will have a range of 250 miles on a single charge. To ease customer anxiety about battery charging, 
Chevrolet said it will cover the standard installation of a charging system for customers who purchase or lease a 2022 Volt EUV or Bolt EV. Kansas City is setting up the structure to prepare for electric vehicles. The city plans to piggyback electric vehicle charging on existing streetlights as a way to improve access in areas currently lacking charging options. The federally funded pilot project is being led by the nonprofit Metropolitan Energy Center, whose partners include the city and the utility Evergy. They hope to install chargers on 30 to 60 streetlights before the end of the year. Kansas City is a leader when it comes to charging stations. A recent Rocky Mountain Institute analysis ranked it as the region's top city for electric vehicle infrastructure. But that infrastructure isn't spread evenly across the city. The news release did not specify whether the unevenness is based on race. As envisioned, the light poles would be equipped with one charger each. Customers would pay for each kilowatt hour of power, although a rate will have to be established by state utility regulators. Courthouse News reports that the Fish and Wildlife Service must determine whether the northern long-eared bat should be listed as an endangered species within 18 months of completing a special status assessment of it and two other bat species, a federal court in Washington ruled. Though it's a state endangered species in Indiana, it's only listed as threatened at the federal level. The Center for Biological Diversity has been urging the federal government to list the bat as endangered for about two decades. Since 2001, 85 of Indiana's 92 counties have lost forest acreage, reducing woodland habitat for this bat. The northern long-eared bat population consumes large numbers of insects, including ones that are agricultural pests. The UN has released a statement on the status of nations' attempts to meet goals established under the Paris Climate Accord. The report looks at the national climate efforts of 75 states that have already submitted their updated nationally determined contributions. The countries included in the report are responsible for about 30% of the world's global greenhouse gas emissions. While most have increased their individual climate efforts, only two of the worst emitters, including the UK and the EU, have stepped up their goals considerably. And the member states' plans to tackle the climate crisis, quote, are very far from putting us on a pathway that will meet our Paris Agreement goals, end quote, said Patricia Espinosa, Executive Secretary of UN Climate Change. And now for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about a carbon credits bill. A bill making its way through the Indiana legislature could soon help farmers and foresters make money from the lands that have fed man and beast for countless generations while helping reduce climate change. Senate Bill 373, which establishes a carbon market registration program that facilitates carbon market trading in the state, was approved by the Indiana Senate and now heads to the Indiana House of Representatives for consideration. Senator Susan Glick, one of the bill's authors, spoke before the Senate vote. Indiana has approximately 5 million acres of forest land and has... um many, many thousands of acres, in fact, millions of acres of farmland that can be used for sequestration of carbon. This is an opportunity for us to establish a program that would allow the farmers and the forest owners 
to um, have a uh, financial benefit for the creation of these carbon offset or carbon credit programs. Carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas that traps heat in the atmosphere, making the planet warmer and changing its climate. Sequestration involves storing the gas underground and thus removing it from the atmosphere. Major corporations like Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, and Unilever have announced their intentions to become carbon neutral, or basically pledge to offset the amount of carbon dioxide or carbon dioxide equivalents they emit by undertaking other actions that reduce carbon dioxide elsewhere. One of the easiest ways companies can do this is by buying carbon credits, a certificate worth a ton of carbon dioxide emissions in a carbon market. A carbon market acquires those carbon credits from farmers and foresters who make a deal with the market to adopt certain climate-friendly farming methods in order to maintain the carbon-capturing potential of the land. Carbon offset trading is becoming a lucrative business both for the farmers providing the carbon credits and the market selling them. Even fossil fuel giants like BP and Shell have decided to invest in the multi-billion dollar carbon trading business as their former cash cow oil has been providing diminishing returns. SB 373 seeks to help farmers and foresters enter the carbon market and to address one of the main criticisms of carbon trading, whether carbon credits really offset the amount of carbon dioxide they promise to. It is revenue neutral. Think in terms of a clearinghouse whereby certified verifiers would go out and inspect uh, forested lands and also farm ground to establish whether or not they have carbon offset properties. They would be um, certified and those people would be listed on a website for those individuals to go to and to, to enter into carbon contracts, basically to have the verifiers go out, look at their ground and their forest, and establish whether or not they have benefit. The bill would establish a climate-friendly farming and forestry registration program to register the technical advisors teaching farmers about climate-friendly farming practices and the verifiers who measure the carbon sequestration potential of land. Currently, there is no standard for carbon offset project validation, although some businesses have created their own standards that have been adopted by states like California. If the bill eventually becomes law, it could open a new revenue stream for Indiana's embattled farmers, who have had extremely productive years but shrinking markets due to federal policy shifts. If the bill eventually becomes law, it could open a new revenue stream for Indiana's embattled farmers, who have had extremely productive years but shrinking markets due to federal policy shifts. In the past decade, the state has reported corn harvests of less than 5 million acres only once, with a dip occurring in 2019 when heavy spring rain forced weeks of delay in planting. Soybean crops have also fared well over the decade, with production falling in 2012 and 2013, when summer dry spells damaged soybean crops. But despite the production, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Economic Research Service, the value of feed crop production in Indiana has fallen by 28% since 2012 outpacing the 21% crop production value loss for the entire U.S. in that same period. The USDA also forecasts that farmers are more likely to be in debt this year. The Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City said small dairy farms and smaller corn and soybean growers could be especially at risk for bankruptcies. The added income that verified carbon credits could bring Indiana's growing small farm population could help them survive and thrive. The uh, landowners would be able to be listed on the website and people who are seeking carbon neutrality. That would be multinational corporations or corporations within the state of Indiana or other um, states in the union who want to be net 
or carbon neutral could enter into contracts. Those contracts can uh, achieve almost $6,000 a year uh, per acre for in some areas and in some grounds, which would allow uh, many small landowners as well as large landowners to to seek those contracts. They would have to adhere to certain qualifications and requirements that would be established in the contracts. That would mean that they did not lose the use of their ground for agricultural purposes or for forestry management. However, there, there would be certain practices that they would have to adopt and adhere to. The bill is sponsored in the House by Representative Donald Leahy and Representative David Abbott. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. Spring Mill State Park is having an invasive plant ID hike on Saturday, March 13th from 1 to 1.30 p.m. Meet at the amphitheater at the Lakeview Activity Center for this moderate hike and learn about invasive plants and how they threaten the health of our native natural resources. The new Winter Hiking Club, sponsored by Monroe County Public Library, will discuss by Zoom the Bean Blossom Nature Preserve on Sunday, March 14th from 2 to 3 p.m. The club allows people to experience the hiking area trails by sharing photos, sketches, and recordings taken while outside walking the woods and fields in winter. If you are interested in participating after hiking the trail, you can register at mcpl.info. The Wiley House in Bloomington is offering free seeds every Friday throughout the month of March from noon to 5 p.m. Go to the Morton C. Bradley Jr. Education Center, better known as the Barn, next door to the Wiley House. A variety of flower, herb, and vegetable seeds are available. IU is launching a photo scavenger hunt as a way to add pictures to its plant directory. Each of Indiana's 2,700 plant species has a species page in the Golden Key online identification tool that people can use to identify an unknown plant. If you are interested in participating in the 2021 Indiana plant photographic scavenger hunt, you can go to herbarium.bio.indiana.edu. There will be a woodcock walk at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Saturday, March 20th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Take this opportunity to watch the American woodcock perform its springtime ritual called the Sky Dance. Timber doodling is what this springtime display is called. The event involves light walking and perhaps muddy conditions. Registration is required. Go to indianaaudubon.org slash event slash good hyphen pond hyphen woodcock hyphen field hyphen trip. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. 
Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.